Leading in the most abject of environments such as war-torn countries can really test what leadership is really about. My guest this week has been on the front lines of the battlefield and in the boardroom and has been pointing to the simplicity in mind. You'd think that common sense and simplicity would prevail, but when faced with complex situations, humans tend to overcomplicate solutions. I'm Julia Rebholtz. Welcome to Generative Leaders. I'm Dave Hill. Uh, I'm a transformational coach. It's something that I've been doing full time for the last couple of years, but but that doesn't explain to how I got to doing that in the first place and why. I started off as a soldier, soldiered for 17 years, and leadership was the sort of bread and butter of, of what I was doing. I, I was a started as a platoon commander and finished off as a company commander. And, and the whole journey was about leadership in that sense. Um, and I was fascinated by seeing how people tick and, and getting them to, to be the the best that they possibly could be in some of the most uncomfortable places that they possibly could be at the same time and how that might work. Uh, and then after that, I spent a year working for Amazon in a leadership role with them in a very different environment in a big shed somewhere, uh, which wasn't quite my cup of tea, uh, but I learned a lot from it. Um, and, and then I went and worked for Standard Life Investments um, as it was as a project manager for about five or six years. But during that whole time out of the army, I'd been volunteering to help riflemen, mainly from my from my regiment, but veterans more broadly that were struggling in the, in their day to day lives. Uh, people that just just phoned up saying help, please. And I decided to set Simplicity in Mind up, the company that that I now operate, to do more of that. Uh, I realised that my time was limited, having a full time job being a parent and wanting to do more. And I decided to flip that on its head and be my own boss, deliver uh, an offering to organisations and individuals in an effort to create more space to help veterans that are struggling and their families. So in your in your opener, Dave, you talked about the acts of leadership. Um, and obviously, you know, this podcast is all around generative leadership. What have you learned about generative leadership and, and what do you think sort of makes it different? It's a great question. I think for me, leadership is always generative in, in, in the way that I've experienced it and seen it. That doesn't necessarily to say that's what I've always experienced when I've been led or when I've been in a leadership position. But, but at its core, that's what we're trying to achieve. We're trying to draw the best out of people to allow them to do their best work in whatever capacity that might be, to allow them to feel the opportunity to explore new ideas in a position of sort of psychological safety rather than necessarily physical safety, but knowing that we've created a container for them to experiment and try. And as long as they're doing that with the best of intentions, that we've got their backs. And so for me, leadership is all about creating the possibility of achieving more than the sum of the individual parts of whatever that is, whether that's an organisation, whether that's a military formation, whether that's a group of friends that are trying to do something. It's about pulling the best out of people and allowing them to flourish and potentially taking away pinch points that, that might get in the way of them being able to achieve that. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, you think about kind of people and nature and actually people are part of nature 
And it's their nature to grow, to develop, to, you know, flourish unless something gets in the way. And, uh, you know, the lovely point that I think you've, you've just been pointing at is, well, isn't it the leader's role to help remove whatever's getting in the way of that flourishing and growing? Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, when I was leaving the army, when it was 10, 11 years ago, I, I spent a bit of time reflecting on my career and what I'd learnt about leadership and about just doing my job. You know, I didn't really see myself directly as a leader. It was part of my job, but actually all I was was Dave. I was Dave with some, some rank and responsibility, but I was still just Dave. Um, and how did I show up as Dave in a way that would allow the people working alongside me and for me to, to be the best that they could be. And I think one of the biggest things I took away from that, from that sort of reflection and looking back was realizing that I loved the fact that there were people way more capable than me working for me and being able to give them the opportunity to just be themselves and flourish and be better than me and be comfortable with that. Still my responsibility at the top to sort of keep everything together because that was the position I'd been put in. But I, yeah, he's way better than me. Let's, let's, let's get him out and, and let him run the show and, and not get in the way of, of that and just be there going, right, cool. There's the container. Go away, run with that. Show me what you're capable of. Show everybody else what you're capable of because my time in this role is limited and everybody else that's working for me is the future of that role and that capacity you know, to, to fill those shoes. And I think that's one of the beauties of, of the military system is, is that you are only ever in a, in a job for two or three years tops. Someone will always be coming along behind you and it's part of your responsibility to bring people on to fill your shoes. Hopefully you're moving on and up yourself into somebody else's shoes. You might not be, but you will be moving. And it's your responsibility to make sure that the, the team that you have is robust enough to thrive without your leadership. You know, the army's got a slightly fatalistic way of looking at that because you might not be around because you, might, you may end up being incapacitated or killed or whatever that takes you out and the system still needs to be able to operate without you. You know, you can't have people as single points of failure. And I think that's where sometimes we get confused about leadership because we think all the responsibility sits with one person and they need to, you know, they need to be making all the decisions. And if they're not there, oh my goodness, we've, we've lost our capacity to operate. That's never true. It's, it, people might feel that, but actually when circumstances come along and change the way that you think you're operating because someone important has been removed from, from the process at, at, at that moment in time, everything regenerates on its own. The system self, self heals and carries on. There might be a little bit of discomfort in the process of that. There might be a little bit of uncertainty, but it will thrive given, given the capacity of the, of the people within the organization. And I think that's a wonderful thing and hopefully allows leaders to realize that while the responsibility lies on, on them, it's not all about them. It's not all on their shoulders. They've got potentially hundreds of people in, the, in their world that are working towards the same aim.
And that's that's a really important point, isn't it? Because sometimes people are not working towards the same aim. <laughs> um, you know, we think that they are, but but they might not be. Um, so what what have you seen about that, Dave? You know, what have you learned about humans and and helping people to kind of come to the same aim? I think it all comes back to this, you know, this, this, the, the most simple of human things and just listening and realising how connected you are as a group of people. And that's not to say that if someone seems a bit distant, that they are, you know, away with the fairies or not paying attention or m- malingering or whatever, whatever you might des- decide is going on in their world. What's going on for them that's not allowing them to be in this conversation? Um, and how do I invite them back in in a way that doesn't feel like they've been called out because I want their expertise and their opinion. And at the moment I can see that I haven't got their attention and that's neither of our faults. It's just, there's, there's something in there that's, that's, that's got a little bit uh, disconnected. Let's try and reestablish that. So that's one thing. Uh, And the other is allowing people the opportunity to play back what they've heard from what your intention is because quite a lot of my life has been around the military, you have formal sets of orders. You give people clear direction of what you want to achieve, the reasons why, and potentially some of the how they might go about doing it. One of the biggest things that I learned going through training was then as the person that's received those orders, sitting for 20 minutes if I've got the time to reflect on that, to see what questions come up for me, and then go back to my to my boss and say, right, this is what I think you've asked me to do. And then from being able to play that back, get the opportunity for him or her to go, well, actually, no, this is what I meant. Okay, thank you very much indeed. I now understand. But it's, there's a sort of, right, I've, I've been told once I should probably get this, I better go away and start doing stuff and, and bring my homework back when it's 100% complete. And I might've gone off on a completely wrong tangent completely innocently or because I didn't have either feel I had the opportunity to or felt that I would be heard if I was checking the direction that I was going in. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? You know, what what we hear isn't necessarily what somebody said. Yeah. And what somebody said may not actually be what they meant what they meant either. <laughs> so there's there's a whole load of potential flaws in the way that we communicate as human beings. That's just an act, an accident of nature. That's just the way it is. But being prepared to be open and flexible with that and allow people the opportunity to just double check what it was that they thought they heard to make sure that they are going in the right direction. And if they come up against something to come back and question again, well, as a leader, that's that's surely what what we're supposed to be trying to do is the conduit to achieving our organization's intention. If someone's got a question, bring it, please. It might be a simple answer. It might be something that you've been told before, but if you don't know the answer, I'd much prefer to hear you hear you ask the question than, than try and work it out on your own. And it's probably going to be quicker in the long run. And, and Dave, you talked about earlier, you know, being in situations that people's physical safety is at threat. And, you know, lots of people that are listening are running organizations where, you know, it literally can feel like a war zone. You know, everything's being thrown at them. They're trying to deal with a whole load of things. What have you learned about leading in those sort of very high stress situations where your physical safety is at risk? 
to help that bringing out the best in people? That's a great question. I think the biggest difference that I've seen between how the military operates and how business operates is the military trains for what it does and business just does what it does. There is no real opportunity to test and experiment with what it is that you do, you know, apart from manufacturing where you might make prototypes of things. Okay, so there's a, there's a sort of developmental stage in that side. But most organisations don't have the capacity to do that. They're just doing stuff. And as a result, they don't necessarily learn from making mistakes because mistakes cost money and time and reputation and all the rest of it. And so there's a, there's a strong desire to get everything right all the time, which isn't possible. So having, having a, a sort of culture where knowing mistakes are going to happen that things are, you know, even with people working to the best of their abilities, with the best of intentions, things might go wrong. There's having the opportunity to learn from that in a constructive way that allows people to say, okay, so I I was sort of making the right decisions, albeit we ended up with the wrong outcome. Uh, What can we learn from that and take forward for next time rather than, well, you got that wrong, um, so I'm not going to give you that responsibility again. And that, that sort of nervousness about the fear of failure, I suppose, because... From a, from a military perspective, you don't, absolutely don't want it, but you, you can almost guarantee there, is, there isn't going to be a, a period where there isn't going to be some form of collateral damage to you as an organisation, be that equipment or people or the mission that you're on. There is something that in that triangle that's not going to survive the intention that you had at the, at the start. And knowing that gives people the freedom to try anyway and see what's possible and also call out when I go well I've done the, I've done the maths on this this is really not going to go our way I need more resources please I'm being completely upfront about that because they know if if they don't ask for those additional resources then they're going to come off worse off than everybody intends and that they will be failing for not asking that question about additional resource in an organized in a in a, a commercial organization Asking for resources, normally asking for more money or more time or both. And no one likes doing that. So they'll sit on a problem way longer than they might have done if they'd, sit, if they'd flagged it earlier, at which point it's going to cost more money and more time. And, and those that are making those decisions going, why didn't you bring this to us earlier? It, and it's fear of, fear of failure rather than seeing that failure is probably inevitable at some point. How do we learn from that? How do we avoid that? And it's normally by seeing where weakness is popping up and jumping on it early. And rather than seeing that as a reflection on our ability to do our job, it's just the nature of the game. You know, certain you know, large projects that are planned over two or three years, what you're, what you're doing, dealing with when you're planning is certainly not what you're going to have at the end. And quite a lot of places will go, well, no, this is what you said at the beginning, and I'm going to track you to within an inch of your life on the journey of that to see how well you've done. Forgetting that technology is probably changing. The business is probably changing. Costs are going to change because the, you know that's just the nature of things. But we'll then go and attack the people that were created the project in the first place. And it's, you know, for me, that's the biggest disconnect between how the military does things and how, how organisations do it. Um, or uh, commercial organisations do it. It's the, 
well, we're expecting things not to go smoothly. That's fine. That's sort of baked into the plan. Let's see what we can do to try and avoid all of that, mitigate all that risk as much as we possibly can and still go out and, and do the best we can. Yeah, and I think what you're what you're also, um, if I may kind of point to, is that ability to adapt to context. So, you know, the context is not static. In your head, what you thought the context was when you actually come up against it is as you said the nature of it is changeable and so kind of accounting for that taking it into the thought process and then kind of reflecting on the situation to see what the next wise step would be is a a key part of the process again just things that have just stuck in my mind over time the planning cycle uh, it's, it's called the combat estimate at, at a very junior level, but you've got a you've got a series of questions you take yourself through to come up with a plan. And one of them that you keep going back to is: Has the situation changed all the time? Even when you've delivered your orders and you're actually you're executing your plan, has the situation changed? Yes, it has. Is my mission still valid? Is what I've been asked to do still valid? No, it's not. Right. Boss, this this is no longer viable. Either the problem was isn't there, there's nothing there, so I'm now I'm now free and available for you to use in another way. Or I can't speak to my boss at the moment. I've lost communications. I know there is nothing for me to do in this situation given what I've been asked to do, but I also know what the wider intent is of our organization. How best can I support that? having the freedom to know what everybody else is up to and go, right, well, I can't speak to anybody. How do I now apply myself and my and my team to go off and deliver against what it is that we're collectively trying to achieve, albeit that wasn't part of the original plan? And that ability to be flexible, to be fluid with where you're going is constantly driving people to look for the most efficient way to do stuff to question things, not because they think something's rubbish, but because I think I've got an idea that you might not have seen the solution to yourself. What about this? And then for the leader to sit back and go, hmm, yeah, that's a really good point. And either go, I'm sorry, we're not doing that because of the following reasons, which at the level that I brought the idea up, I couldn't see, or go, no, that's fascinating. There's some mileage in that. We're going to take that and run with it. At which point the ownership becomes you know there's the senior person that's taken that on and go right we're going to adapt our plans based on this piece of new information and being comfortable with the idea that that flexibility is is possible at any stage based on whoever it is that brought it up you know I, I was I was very conscious in my last job in the army that I, I was one of 190 in my company I was responsible for for the whole thing but I had 189 other brains that I could lean on. And I took great comfort in that because they were all the subject matter experts in the company. I'd never served in this particular organization and I had no expertise in any of the stuff that my people did, but I was the one giving the direction and providing advice to my boss about what we could do. One of the things I'd really love to talk to you about as well is that, um, you know, you mentioned earlier that you're, you know, you're now spending quite a bit of time helping veterans um, who've left the army. Um, And we talked about, obviously, when you're in the army, you're in that leadership role to help people be resilient, to move on, to grow, to flourish. And then there's this loss of identity that happens when people leave the army 
and they're not able to flourish and grow and they get stuck when they come into, you know, real, real life. It can be a tricky time for some, you know, the vast majority of people when they leave the, the forces absolutely flourish um, and go on and thrive. You know, they, they've taken their experience and are looking forward to the next chapter and what that might offer them and lean on their experience uh, and see how that can be fitted into their new organisation, whatever it is that they are off to go and do. And, and the vast majority absolutely fly. Some struggle. And, you know, that's, uh, I'm not going to say inevitable, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a fact of life. We all struggle at times. But we have a narrative in the press that says that veterans do struggle. Um, and then so when veterans are struggling, they go, oh, crikey, I'm, well, that, yeah, I've been told that a lot. So they go, well, this is, this is my lot. And they sort of start to feel like there is no hope for them, at which point they stop looking for solutions. They stop looking for ways to help themselves potentially. And most of the conversations I have with people relate back to their loss of empowerment to do whatever it is that they think that they can't do. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's beyond me. Um, I haven't got the expertise. I wouldn't know where to start. Well, that's just not, you know, I couldn't possibly ask someone that question because, you know, a whole load of, of vaguely helpful ideas that they've got to keep themselves safe from failing at things, but at the same time, stopping them from being able to progress and, and, and move on with their lives. And, and most of the conversations come back to, you are more than capable at, at dealing with this. You've coped with way, way worse things than this in the past. And don't forget, you've got a huge network of friends that you can lean on. Oh yeah, but I, you know, I don't want to put them out. Okay, what happens if one of them was to give you a ring? Oh, I'd help them in a heartbeat. Interesting, interesting. Tell me about that. Why would you help them? Boom, boom, boom. And then all of a sudden you go, well, if, if you would be that for your friends, do you not think they'd be that for you? And that, again, changes the dynamic for them slightly and allows them to be more vocal about the things that they're stuck on and opens them up to a resource that they already had in their friends and relations. And so while quite a lot of the work I'm doing is with individuals that are struggling, I'm actually way more interested in speaking to their friends and family about, and when they come knocking, you're absolutely capable of helping because all you need to do is sit back and listen and care deeply. You don't need to know the answer because listening with love and compassion behind what it is that you're trying to do will allow that person to feel heard and start seeing solutions for themselves. And that harps back to that business I was talking about with receiving a set of orders, sitting down, reflecting on that, going back and saying, right, well, this is what I've heard. And if my immediate leader is worth their sort, they'll sit back and listen and not get upset with me that I've misunderstood something, but guide me in the direction of where they were trying to go. If, however, that that uh, leader was to jump on me and go, no, you've got it wrong, you're an idiot, boom, 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 it's going to stop me asking those questions. And so for, for this sort of friend relationship or family relationship with someone that's struggling, it's not about giving them the answer and going, oh, right, I think you should do this. It's, it's way, way more about drawing the answer out from the individual, which they've absolutely got for themselves. And that just comes from creating space for them. So that's why I, I set simplicity in mind up, was 
on a, on a sort of two front footing. One was to continue to help people that are struggling, that are potentially in crisis, to allow them to get on and, and live their lives. But equally, to to share the message with whoever is prepared to listen that we are all capable of supporting anybody on this planet, whether we've got the experience of, of operating and, and living in the same world of them or not, whether we know them or not. We have the capacity to connect with a human being at a one-to-one level that feels really, really strong and empowering for the person that's feeling vulnerable in that moment. Well, I think, Dave, that that's a beautiful note for us to end this conversation on, you know, because it's such a such a hopeful message that anyone that's struggling, you know, by just listening to them with love and compassion, giving them the space to feel heard, that we can help anyone. So thank you so much for for sharing that with everyone um, today. So Dave, if people want to get in touch with you, know more about you, where can they get hold of you? Um, Thanks, Julia. Um, Well, my email address is dave at simplicityinmind.co.uk. My website is www.simplicityinmind.co.uk. And I've also got a podcast uh, called uh, The Simple Reflections Podcast, um, which is yeah, comes out every two weeks and is a gentle conversation with with other people about how we learn from insight, how we can support each other. And it's, yeah, hopefully quite a lighthearted bit of fun. Fabulous. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you today, Dave. And thank you so much for being with me. Thank you very much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Such a fascinating conversation with Dave. And I was really touched by him on a number of points. One of them was checking that people have understood what you're asking from them. It's so simple, but how often do we ask people, what did you actually hear me say? I know that my husband and I have got into many troubles by not actually listening to what the other person was saying, um, but making something up else entirely. The second thing which is sort of similar is asking for everyone's input to see the different perspectives on a problem. Sometimes that can feel really uncomfortable or that it's going to add more time to do that. But there's been so many occasions when getting a different perspective really brings things into place and creates better ideas that you wouldn't come up with um, on your own. And I've certainly experienced that for myself. And then the third one, which has really, really stayed with me, is asking for help. I am so bad at asking for help. But the more that I ask for help, the better my life seems to get. So I sort of have this battle with myself about why don't I ask for help more often? So a prompt for everyone that's listening. Are there people you can ask for help on something that you're facing, even if it's just to get you out of your own thinking? If you found this podcast useful and you think someone else would too, please go ahead and share it. You can do that at generativeleaders.co or any other podcast platform where you get your podcast from. This will be our last podcast for 2023 
And I really appreciate everybody that has listened to our episodes this year. We've hoped you found them useful. And I wish you and your families a wonderful Christmas break. I hope it's relaxing, peaceful, and you're able to recharge. Look forward to seeing you on the first 2024 episode of Generative Leaders. Thank you.